1: Hello, welcome to the latest episode of House of League with myself, Matt Shaw, and plenty of guests to come. Rugby League is back. A really impressive first week. I'm going to be positive. I am actually going to be positive. I think we had a really good first week of the year uh, with a little bit of controversy thrown in there to discuss and dissect all that. I introduce first guest of uh, the week, And no doubt a regular during the the coming months. The one and only Aaron Bauer. I see I gave you quite a talk up there. When normally normally I I could say harsher things, but I don't want to get into tip for tats with you so early in the morning.
0: No, and also start well this season and then we'll see how the year progresses, obviously. Yeah, we'll be a bit
1: like we'll be a bit like Hull F C. We'll start well and and eventually degrade into into being terrible. Terrible. Um First week, then, like I, I, be honest, Aaron, I cannot remember a more positive opening week of a season than this one.
0: Yeah. Um, if IMG were watching, excuse me, if IMG were watching, they would have been impressed. I would have thought. Um, the clubs that promised they were going to put a show on, put a show on, namely Warrington on the opening night and Lee on Friday, and then backed up by some really good crowds elsewhere. You know, both whole clubs delivered, I thought. Really good spectacles. Um, Yeah, lots to be excited about, which which feels slightly worrying. Um, almost too good a start, isn't it, really?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we might as well touch on it now. It didn't feel like it was going to be that because the usual routine started at the beginning of the week with Joe Westerman and, and everything that went around that. And this it was like typical rugby league that scandal that always seems to happen on the eve of the season. Um, and, and, look, in fairness, it's been a circus throughout the week. Will no doubt be a circus for a couple more weeks before it uh, inevitably dies down. Um, I was going to ask what, what your take on, on the Westman situation is, but I'm not sure that's really a, a fair question. I suppose a fair question would be, what have you made of Cass's handling of what is inevitably – a very tricky situation for them.
0: Well, he's their employee first and foremost. So, if they think he's in the right headspace to play and they think the severity of punishment they've handed out to him is sufficient, then they're well within their rights to do that. I was, if you would have asked me at two o'clock on Sunday, I would have said I think Castleford have handled it probably well without saying perfect. But then, I, I, listen. Did Lee? Did Lee Radford need to say what he said after the game on Sunday? I'm not sure. Particularly when you consider uh, the story was probably starting to die off a little bit. You know, Westerman's played his first game. Newspapers that wouldn't ordinarily send people to the game and them, and it's gonna, it's gonna die off. But then I just felt Lee Radford probably fanned the flames a little bit by going after the media again, and it just brings it all back up again. Probably from a Westerman point of view, look, the, the guy's going to lose a lot. Uh, he's going to lose a lot, a lot more than a few dodgy chants from the crowd. And that's probably right. You know, he's not active professionally. He's not active well at all. The sort of semantics of a 15 hour drinking session a week before a season leave a little bit to be desired as well. But I also think sort of let he who was without sin cast the first stone a little bit. You know, nobody's, nobody's perfect. We've all got flaws. We don't know what's going on in Joe Westerman's life. There could have been a, a plethora of things that led him to go out and drink for as long as he did. But look, I, I just think it's probably done now. Um, he's played, hasn't he? I think if, if he hadn't have played, we would have, we would have still been going on about it, wouldn't we, thinking when, he's, when is this sort of ban Castleford have put on him going to end? But he's played. I think Lee Radford didn't need to say what he said. I thought it was a bit unnecessary. I think if anyone's at fault, it's the player, not the media. Um, and I think that's probably where it ends now, isn't it? Um, he'll be a bit like, I'm thinking of someone out loud, a Joel Monaghan in that those chants will probably always be sort of carried with him now. But in terms of the headlines, I would think they'll probably start to die down now, and that's probably probably right. He's sort of done his punishment as an east in terms of being exposed in the media, and I think I think he's he's got to be allowed to to sort of move on. He's he's admitted he's got issues surrounding alcohol, and I think he's got to be allowed privacy to to sort of deal with that.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree with all of that. Um... I'm not really sure what Cass could have done different. Mm. I think I think from a media standpoint, this is sort of tricks of the trade, I suppose. I don't know if they actually needed to give a, a statement in a way because no no one had done a story on it. No one had done a story because it was very difficult to do something. But they almost ended up confirming the story and giving. But but you, you're almost yep. damned if you do, damned if you don't, aren't you? Because it's. Wow. You know his, his 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 partner ended up speaking in the press and you know it was probably a case of it was it was inevitable I suppose to a degree I,
0: I, yeah and I think they've got they, they were getting on the front foot of it weren't they which is probably if they wouldn't have done that and it had come out in the papers another way I think we might have been more critical of cast so they probably were damned if they do and damned if they don't but I think they got on the front foot of it and they sort of announced they were punishing him um and like I say I just think it's probably. Reached its conclusion as a story. Maybe, for, maybe it's just me. You know, maybe other people think it, it needs dragging out more. But I, I think sort of as I say, he's he's <laughs> he's done the he's done the crime, as it were, and he's done the time, which is been outed publicly in the national press. Uh, and I think you know, I think that's it now, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I would agree.
1: And and he played well. He played well, to be fair. Second stint, uh, he got really high praise for his performance. And you know, fair play to him. Because a lot yeah. let's be right, let's be right, there's a lot of people who in that situation would have locked the doors to their house and not been seen for months that on months great. and yeah. end. He's, he's gone and played in front of fifteen thousand people who were his former fans no less who couldn't wait to to give him both barrels. So I suppose I suppose to some some extent he deserves some credit for that. Um no, I do not for his actions, but um yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was the that was a controversy. Yeah. It actually got better after that. Um, you, you touched on it at the start, the the pre-match stuff at, at Warrington, at Lee, I mean, Lee was awesome. You know what, right? People can see Derek Beaumont as Marmite and, and in fairness, probably is Marmite. He is a, a love or love character, but you can't deny he put on a good show. Yeah, like that was a serious. Was it extravagant? Yes. Was it flamboyant? Yeah. Was it over the top? Yeah, probably. Was it a bit barney? Yeah, probably. But as as the rebrand has done, and as this did, it got people talking, and it was brilliant. I'm telling you now, it's better than any grand final I've been to in terms of pre-match atmosphere. It's better than magic. It's it's better than anything I've experienced in rugby league as a pre-match build-up. So credit where credit's due for me. I I think Derek doesn't always get things right, but I think it absolutely not like one out of the park. To be fair to him.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, you mentioned the rebrand. You mentioned IMG. There, there are going to be areas where Lee fall down on grading, and uh, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking logistically as in terms of. What it's got to offer, you know. Look, we all know the joke. It's not a joke. It's fact that it doesn't have a train station, so it's a hard place to get to. There are going to be other areas where where Lee fall down on the grading. So I was almost expecting them to go hell for leather um, and put a show on to show that they can be part of a new look Super League in a couple of years' time. I think it even exceeded what I was expecting. As you say, we all kind of working in the media know what Derek's capable of in terms of entertainment and shock factor and things like that, where it, it superseded everything and it, it, it exceeded everyone's expectations in a good way, I think. You know, was it a little bit <clears throat> corny at times? Maybe. You know, the weird naked leopard mascot, very, <laughs> very unnerving. Um, but look, look, the, the bottom line is you put a show on and while I would rather listen to the Latham's than scouting for girls – if you asked a thousand people on the streets which band they'd heard of, probably nine hundred of them would have said they've heard of Sky for the Girls. So he, he pulled a big name in. He pulled, a, put a show on, and obviously they didn't get the win, but I thought they competed as well. And I thought, all in all, for them, for an opening night, barring getting the result, that was as good a, as good a show and as good a night as they could have put on.
1: Crowds have been good as well. You know, I think I over mean. fifty, over fifty thousand, or no, almost fifty thousand. games. guess. It's mm-hmm. good going. It's good going, and and I think Hull F.C. fifteen thousand three hundred is terrific. Highest their highest opening round attendance since two thousand and five. Highest home attendance excluding derbies for six years. So that's really good. Eleven thousand at, at Warrington. Good effort compared considering where they were last year. Really, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lee okay. eight, eight, five. Uh Hull KR. I think there's, I think there's a bit of uncertainty whether it was nine eight or just over ten, somewhere around that.
0: Still, still what? healthy. Twenty five thousand mm. watching the games in Hull over a weekend is is really Brilliant. good. And yeah, as, it's as you moment. said, Hull. Um, I, well, obviously we're all we're all neutral, but I'm 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 glad Hull won because 15,500, 15, That's good for them that they've. They, Put a show on as well. you know. I know it was close at the end, but they started really well. And it's good for them that they've got a good win in the opening round with a big crowd because it just builds a base. If they would have flattered to deceive, like, let's be real, they did last year with a big crowd, you're probably down to 10,000 for your next home game, aren't you? Or something like that. But it yeah. just gives those who went for the first time or the first time in a while something to come back for next time around. So I'm I'm glad they got a result, um, and then there'll be there'll be some other big ones this weekend, won't they? You know, Leeds Leeds Hall will be a big one. Um, I would think Cass Saints will be really really big, close to sell out probably. I'd have thought on Sunday. So um, yeah, Wigan at home, I think this weekend aren't they as well at Wakefield against yeah. Wakefield. So scope for more big crowds, which is great.
1: Yeah, and um, then there was obviously Wakefield; they were a bit low. Well, they got four thousand that they bought. They were playing cattle,
0: yeah. And, and that was, I'm led to believe that's nearly capacity for where they are at the moment. So I think that's about of 100, 100 off capacity. So, the, yeah, and as you say, Catalan's on a Friday night. Um, it was the standout crowd for the wrong reasons. But I think, you know, be interesting to see what Wakefield can do in the city when they've got that stand open in the summer. Um, they obviously need to win some rugby games, but look, I'm not, I'm not going to start worrying about Wakefield or panicking about Wakefield after one... Sort of competitive defeat to Catalans, but yeah, that that was the the standout crowd. But I think they'll grow over the season.
1: It's been interesting actually because the crowds have been good in the championship as well. Um, I think everyone's up, or practically everyone's posting crowds that exceeded averages last year, which is really good to see. You know, yeah, yeah, it's across across the board, isn't it? Which is, I don't know why, but it's working something at
0: the minute. Yeah, I mean the the sort of thing that jumps out at the minute is it's the start of the season and you do get a bounce, but then as you say they're they're up on this time last year. So whether clubs are getting it right with marketing more off the field, um, the, there are clubs that do some great initiatives in the champ. Partly, you know, Halifax spring to mind, Bradford spring to mind. They they do some some good stuff off the field in terms of ticketing initiatives. So I think everyone, I, I think everyone's got the message now. Actually, you know, we've seen it in the past that we've had these sort of rebrands and people have said oh well we're going to change it's going to change now but I think the word IMG has just put everyone on notice I think now and they realise that if you're not going to get it right now probably not got a part to play in this game long term I think everyone's up in the game on the basis of that and that's great to see
1: Yeah it's not too long till we get the gradings now is
0: it? March, March the 9th is it? Something is like it? that yeah Well yeah. no sorry we get the we get the uh, criteria don't we? on yeah yeah yeah, not the actual gradings but the criteria first working gradings i think img said at launch june july time so again we're only three or four months off off that so Mm. but let's be real we'll probably know start to know what clubs are going to get before img (laughs) announce what they're getting that's the challenge anyway for me and you isn't it yeah
2: well
1: if they're going to lay out the criteria in black and white you're going to have a fair idea too difficult should it um The one thing we haven't covered we absolutely have to cover, and I am so happy about this, St. Helens going to Penrith, their own backyard, and beating the back-to-back NRL champions to become the World Club Challenge winners. Mm. This, for me, I, I can't see a more positive story coming out for British Super League, British Rugby League this year. What a game, what a win. But, Aaron, and, and I suppose this, this is a hard thing to to put context on it. So I'll ask you, because you're far more um, better
0: at doing this than me. How big a win is that for British Rugby League and for Super League? Well, it's the most important win for Super League since the competition started in 1996. Um, it's the biggest win <clears throat> by a club side there since 1990, well, it's the first win for a club side there since 1994 when Wigan beat Brisbane. I can't remember that. I was too young, but I'm led to believe it was an unbelievable performance, which sort of gave everyone across the world a bit of an appetite for a bit more club rugby league, England v. Australia club rugby league. That for me, you know, listen, I I don't want this to sound wrong, but St. Ellen's victory means more for me, not, not because of what it means to St. Ellen's, but what it might mean for English rugby league. I think, the, the interesting thing now is the word we hear all the time in rugby league and, and that's legacy. Uh, you know, oh, has this pricked the ears of the NRL and the ARLC to think, well, if they can beat our best over here in in Australian conditions, let's be real, it was red hot, then maybe there is a bit more of a scope for a bit more club v club rugby. You know, we, we know it's like pulling teeth trying to get them to sign up to even do the World Club Challenge. Saints had to commit to going there just to get the game on. It wasn't, Saints didn't forfeit home rights. They had to go to get the game on, otherwise it wasn't happening. Um, the hope now would be that it at least gets back to a once-a-year minimum game. You know, We could get carried away and start talking about World Club Series and things like that. That might be a bit premature, but it'll be interesting to see how the NRL have reacted to it. You know, Maybe Super League isn't quite the walkover it was, albeit this is probably the best team we've seen for 30 years in terms of Super League. But also, what again, what IMG think of it. Can they go to the table now and sit down with the NRL, Super League, whoever, and, and say, let's make a bigger deal of this? They're talking about new events. They're talking about big marquee blue chip events. This just gives the World Club Challenge a little bit more credibility when a Super League side wins it, especially when a Super League side wins it there. So I think it's huge in terms of what it could open regarding doors for the years ahead.
1: What does this do for the legacy of this St. Helens team? For me... For me, I'm happy to say it, I think that win puts them cast iron as the best Super League team of the the best Super League team ever, the best of the era so far. I think when you come when you go 4 back to back, throwing a challenge cup, four in the league leaders, the win records which are just stupidly high, now beating the back to back NRL champions in their own backyard, they are for me the
0: greatest team of the Super League era. Well, they already were for me before this. Um, there's three jump out, don't they? Bradford's trouble winning team, Leeds's trouble winning team and this St. Helens team all jump out. I, I've had them as the best from last year's grand final, to be honest. In terms of what, what it requires to go four in a row, just cannot be underestimated. Um, let's... You know, they, they've had competition, they've had challenges all the way. they played different teams in the grand final. <clears throat> so it's not like there's just been two teams competing for the league and Saints have just edged it every time. They've been the best team for over a thousand days of rugby league, which is just remarkable. The fact they've done it through coaching turnovers as well. Um, when Holbrook left, you thought, God, Wolves never coached in a, a real high level, apart, obviously at club level, Um that's going to be difficult for them, and then Wolf comes in and somehow makes them even better, particularly defensively. Now Wolf goes. Wellens, you think, oh well, it might have a bit of Kieran Cunningham about this club legend taking over. He goes and wins a World Club in his first game, and the scary thing for everyone else, I think, is that this team, obviously there are, there are some old stages in there, but Roby could play until he's sixty at this rate. This <laughs> low, you look at Low Max, nowhere near his peak. Dobbs, Ridiculous. Wellsby, if they can keep hold of him. Bachelor, Knowles, Matty Lees. He could go on and on and on. Wingfield's yeah, yeah. coming in now and playing regularly. Ritson, is, they've got high hopes for the future for him. They just seem to get it right all the time. And for me, there is now no debate that this is the best team of the modern era comfortably. And I'd probably throw it out there that if you throw in the context of what that Wigan chief, what that Wigan team achieved... Being the only full time team in an era of predominantly part time teams, or obviously they were stacked with talent and they are the best ever. But that St. Helen's team, the more they win, just get closer and closer in that conversation to when have we ever seen a team quite this dominant and this good?
1: The challenge, the challenge, of course, now for them is keeping all of this group, more so the young players you mentioned, Wellsbury, Who were, I mean, that first half he was just phenomenal. Yeah, you've got, you've got Dodd. You know, I think. Dodds off contract next year. Yeah. And and there's a, you know, all the NRL clubs are bemoaning a lack of halfbacks at the minute. So naturally they go, go looking at him. And, you know, even Morgan and Yules, Knowles is still young enough to go. Yeah. Probably the time's gone for your likes of Wormsley. Oh, yeah. And, and, person. I mean, you mentioned Ro. I saw, I can't remember who said it. Robik would still be a brilliant buyer in the NRL now. And he, I mean, yeah, he probably yeah. would, wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, no, having... So, but, it's more Wellsby Dodd, Knowles that are the the ones that they have to keep. And it's, you it's know, goals. have they gone? Have they gone to Australia? Loved it and thought, you know what, this is a bit of me. Time will tell on that. But you know what, the way Saints are and the way that they keep bringing players in, the way they recruit, they'll find a way to replace them. Because so how many times have we said they've lost somebody? But they're not going to be able to replace them. Whether it was Farge, uh, Bentley. Uh, there was a tear before that um I mean there was Ben Barber once upon a time you know that this this cycle kind of goes back to him doesn't it really they've got so many and and just managed they just managed that credit credit has to go to all the coaches Mike rush the lot just the organization because they're clearly getting so much right there beyond just playing well there's a lot more underneath that that's clearly allowing them to be as good as they are on the field.
0: I think the the, the thing, look, I, I'd probably, the one that jumps out, out of all those players you've, you've named is Welsby in terms of, I think he gets in most NRL teams, he's that good. Um, it, it, unlike, you know, I think of players in the past, like Bateman jumps out, for example, you always heard whispers that Bateman fancied a crack at the NRL. I've not heard anyone say that Jack Wellsby wants out of St. Helens. No, he wants crack at the NRL. He's happy. Think of Warmsley. a new contract last
1: year. He a new contract for 2025 last year.
0: All those years, it was an ev- inevitability. Warmsley was going every year. We saw it reported in Australia. NRL clubs want Alex Warmsley. He didn't go because he's happy. And I think that's the key for me that these players aren't looking to get out. Like, the, you're right, the, the trip down there and the experience might have just punctured a few imaginations about what could happen down there, but St. Helens look after their players really well. They, they make sure they're well-paid, they make sure they're protected, they make sure they've got long careers, successful careers, and it, it doesn't surprise you when someone like a Wormsler turns around and says, actually, I'm happy here winning things. You know, and they have a chance. Some people clamour for Australia and want to go to Australia, and it's their ambition to play in the NRL. Others have the ambition to win trophies on a regular basis. And I'm not saying you can't do that in Australia, but clearly, if you're part of this St. Helens squad, you're going to win more trophies in the last four years than you probably ever would playing for 10 years in the NRL. So, it's it, some people just value winning trophies more. And Wellsby's a local kid, Dodd's a local kid, Makington's the same. Benison's another one coming through, we haven't mentioned. You know, they, they never went out and got a high profile winger with all due respect to T. and They never went out and replaced Grace with a high profile winger. They've always got another one. There's always another one ready to come in and play. Yeah. And even if one went, you would fancy them to get another one from the academy. It's just remarkable. They are a club who are just always planning for the future. You know, even now when they're world champions, it wouldn't surprise me if they're already thinking about well, who's off contract in 23, who's off contract in 24. How can we make sure that we don't do what other clubs have done and have a period at the top and then? spend two or three years rebuilding at the bottom of the comp because they've never missed the playoffs. They've never never not made the playoffs in Super League, which is utterly remarkable. So they're a machine of a club. And I think, as you say, credit goes to everyone, you know, everyone who's been there before. Laurent Fraser, new Derek Traynor now, Mike Rush now, everyone, Eamon, everyone, they're a machine.
1: Well, let's speak to one of those key figures that has been a part of this success. That is St. Helens. We've heard so much about them being the world champions. They are now the world champions. And What does that mean for this team and this club? After uh, a trip around the world and back again, I caught up with the St. CEO, Mike Rush. Mike, uh, thank you for coming on House of League. Much appreciated. I, I do appreciate it because we've, uh, we've seen on social media the... Trips from hell that some of you have uh, experienced trying to get back from Australia. How's it been for you, mate? Because it's uh, yeah, look, rock and snow and delays and cancellations and everything, hasn't
3: there? I was, um, I was lucky. I had originally there was only two of us on our flight myself and Nathan mill It was meant to be Matt Daniels, but ended up being Millsy. And yeah, we had no problems at all. But James Roby, Paul Wellens, and Matt Daniels and their group, they had a shocker, uh, Ty Airways. Um, fine going out but awful coming back and 53 hours I think it took them via Bangkok, via Stockholm with snow and instead of going to Manchester they ended up in London and they missed the connecting flight and there was no more that evening so luckily Nick Walker at, at Ellison's Traveler who's one of our major partners uh, came to the rescue and got him a, a bus home and I believe within 20 minutes of him getting on that bus everybody was asleep again so look it was difficult for him because it come off the back of him having a bit of a drink after the game rightly so and they left the hotel at six am in the morning, so you've got to feel it's not been the best preparation for him, and it's certainly not what Matt Daniels and Paul Wellens would want. But um, no doubt, Ty, are we getting a very strongly worded letter from myself, and um, <laughs> we'll see how that one goes. I can just imagine that because that's kind of
1: where the why the club's been so good. You win, you win the World Club. You're having, you're celebrating becoming World Club champions and fulfilling one of these big goals they team as strength and conditioning team, Paul Welland's tearing their hair out because it's becoming a logistical nightmare for him.
3: Oh, it was awful. Yeah, you know, I was sat on a plane and and you now luckily you can get the internet on the plane and I'm sending WhatsApps and emails and messages and the longer my flight's going on, the more and more anxious I'm getting because I just want to get them home safe and sound and, and ready to play on Sunday. So it wasn't great for anyone, um, but particularly the players. But what I would say about is of this group, the way they handle it, the way they conduct themselves, the way that they go about any challenge that's put in front of them, uh, they're exceptional. Um, and a, a lot of that comes from the likes of James Roby and Johnny Lomax, who lead that group, Morgan Knowles and uh, Matty Lees, all homegrown players that make sure um, <clears throat> that the the, the highest standards are kept. And, you know, just this morning watching Tommy Makinson um, on breakfast television, just you know, reinforces how good this group are and and uh, how humble they are. And you know, the next job for them is just to go and try and get a win on Sunday at Cass. You are you run
1: the officially the world club club. You know, you 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 are now the guy who runs the best club in the world. How does it feel to be able to be world club champions, especially especially after? everything that this team has done to finally nail that one down, one that you've wanted for so long? How does it
3: feel? Oh, it's really special because obviously um, we've left the home comforts of, of the Totally Wicked and gone to Australia, which you know doesn't happen very often. Um, and then we've gone and beat the best team in the NRL in their own backyard. Um, you only have to watch the game back, and the fireworks at the end of the game are all in Ben Ritz colours. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a box to bring the trophy home in because I don't think they were expecting they needed a travel box. Um, and then you've got the, you know, everybody was writing us off while we were over there. I don't think there was a journalist or a, a player, ex-player or, or a pundit that gave us any chance of winning. So I think that probably makes it all the more sweeter. Um, and these, this group of players deserve um, to be playing in those games and giving themselves the chance um, but what we can't move away from is it is about the players and they should be immensely proud and it's really easy for me because I don't have to make a tackle I don't have to make a run I don't have to do any of that it's all down to the players all we've got to do is try and support the coaching staff to give the best opportunity for that playing group to do what they've done and I think everybody in our town is rightly proud that we're now world club champions again and um, it's been a long time 2007 I think since we last were that and to do it over there made it all the more special.
1: Talk, talk me through how, how you were sort of received by the NRL. I've seen like the hotel you're in, I've seen you've been full of praise for them and, and, and what they've done. But what was the sort of media reception? Did you get the impression that they saw you as no hope? As oh, the...
3: look, I didn't get the impression. They, they were quite open and would tell us to our face that we were no hope. You know. Really? And, Oh, yeah, yeah. you've got to give them the credit. They're very polite. Um, so, yeah, uh, look, most people, whether you look on social media or whether you talk to people privately and confidentially or, or whether you were just sat having a, a coffee with a, you know, a, a journalist, not many people gave us a chance. I thought the media were supportive of us being out there and I thought they really got behind the game. The coverage in Australia was good. I think our players promoted it fantastic with school visits and and Fox were welcome at any time into our training. So I thought that was all fantastic. But I don't think anybody gave us a hope, Matt. And I think that helps at times because it was real, you know, the team really wanted to prove people wrong and and give a good account of Super League. Um, Salary cap is always going to be an issue. But the fact that somebody gets paid more doesn't mean they're a better player than what we've got in this competition. Um, And I think our boys went and demonstrated that Your monetary value uh, doesn't mean that you're a better competition. Um, And the boys, yeah, I don't think we'll ever give up talking positively about how James Rowby led that group of men. um, And the achievement that they've made is second to none.
1: What was the reaction like after the game, at, at the ground? Because we don't see a lot of it. You know, being at home, you're watching it on TV and you only see what the cameras show you. You won't you don't see a lot of how the fans are reacting, how the other team are reacting. What what was the initial reaction after Lewis kicks that drop call, you lift the trophy, James Roby does the speech? How how did it play out?
3: Yeah, look, we had probably about twelve to fifteen hundred Saints fans, whether they'd traveled or whether they were expats or whether they were, you know, at the ground. So most of our time was just spent with them. Um, yeah. Uh, James Graham was on the left hand side. The, the fans were behind the sticks. Um, it was just, it, it was very similar to a grand final, you know, the emotion of winning a, a major honour. Um, probably a lot of disbelief. Um, you know, I, I got a text off Jammer, James Graham the following morning saying, please tell me that wasn't a dream. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and there was an element of that. I've, I don't think I've suffered anxiety pre-game, post-game and during the game like that ever. Oh, um, really? No, never yeah, ever. Why, why was that? Why do you think? Uh, because I think we've been written off by just about everybody and, you know, comments of they'll be able to declare at half-time or um, people saying, you know, we're no hope, we, we'd struggle to make, we'd be a bottom four team in the NRL. Um, all the things like that, you know, and it's not a It is a criticism, but you know, we certain people at the NRL were amazing. Dave Kelly and his team were just amazing in helping us with the on ground logistics and and the support. Um, I've spoken to Andrew Abdo, sorry, I only spoke to Andrew Abdo four minutes, five minutes into the game, and that was the first time I'd I'd met or seen him. I appreciate they've got their own difficulties over there with the CBA. Um, but it wasn't like nobody rolled out a red carpet, nobody, you know, of seniority. welcome the club to the shores. It was always, it felt like we were there. They were expected to win. Um, we weren't given any chance. In fact, people said St George would beat us. Um, never mind Penrith. Um, and so I think that creates anxiety and it creates, for me it does anyway, because I really want the lads to then go and prove those people wrong. Yeah. Uh, again, it's not me. I don't have anything to do with that. But as a, as a massive Saints fan, and, and in the inner circle and being a Saints fan makes it more difficult. And I just really wanted the group to be able to go and prove people wrong.
1: So, so why were you anxious post game? You've won
3: by then. I don't know because I'm a bit. I don't think I'm wired up proper, am I? Let's be first. So, <laughs> um, I think post game, it's a, it's around the, the 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 adulation that we've won. Um, well, you, look, then, you looked
1: like you were being team manager because you were running around so inter- you looked like you were getting people to interview points and stuff like that, that point.
3: we didn't have the money to um take a huge crew which is a little bit disappointing i'd love to have took more staff with us so the, the, there was a media guy tom who's recently joined us and myself and, and we just yeah you just do what you do don't you and we had to help and we had to make sure it was right. We also had to try and interact with our own fans at the other end of the stadium because they forked out a heck of a lot of money to go there. You know, my son went, paid for himself. He, he went out there and he's only 18, he's not 19, yeah. And, and so I understood stood what it meant to people, you know. I asked him this morning on the way to university, have you got any money left in your bank? And he's probably got coppers left in his bank and he ain't going to get paid for a while yet. So that's the commitment that people make to go and... We had families out there as well as you know um, groups of friends that had travelled. So it, it, it's anxious because you want to do the best and you want everybody to uh, enjoy that experience. Um, in my normal way, as soon as I got back to the hotel, I went to bed and left everybody else to do whatever they do.
1: How uh, you might not be the best person to ask. that how was that night?
3: i wouldn't have a clue.
1: Wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> I'll find I'll, I'll find someone else to ask. I'm sure it's yeah. someone. Else. Some so, of them we we'll might not yet remember. To be honest, <laughs> it doesn't
3: interest me in the, in the slightest. The phone goes on airplane mode, so I don't have to listen to any of them ring me. And um, <laughs> I, I just yeah, in fact, I think I watched Batman. Did you? Yeah, I think I watched Batman. Yeah, the latest one. I watched it a couple of times. And yeah. yeah,
1: and that's not how I expected to see of. Uh, Clubbers just become world champions to celebrate, but well, it's a good know. film,
3: Batman. Don't I
1: not, I, listen. I'm not doubting it. Not that it? I think, I think, I think my, my celebration would have involved a bit of alcohol, but never mind. Um, look, the, 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 the talk before the game was could St. Ellen's win it? And a lot of people were saying no, but the people who were open minded to it were, does this make them the best ever? You've done it now. Now, this is a difficult question for me to ask you because you were around when another phenomenal Saints team won a treble in 2006 when you were world champions. But I'm going to ask you anyway, does this solidify this group as the best ever? Certainly the best of the era.
3: You're dead right. It is difficult for me because I was part of Daniel Anderson's staff in 06 and 07 and... In fact, they were showing footage of the 07 Brisbane game on Fox in the lead up, uh, Jet Black Her, and I looked about 12. So you can tell how much this job's aged me. Um, I think the point of difference I'd come back to is this group have gone over to Australia and competed in a time when the salary cap is far, far greater, um, imbalanced than ever before. And they've gone and done it in Penrith's backyard um, with nobody giving them a chance. The other difference was in in 07 when Ando, alan wilson myself with the staff matt daniels was on that crew as well by the way and paul wellens obviously played. ian Talbot was around at that time was it snowed at bolton and it was really cold um and we had to go into australia and it was the opposite it was scorching i got sunburn um it's way too hot why anybody would want to live in that climate it amazes me um And we got a little bit of luck that it started to rain and thunder and lightning just as we were playing, but it was still very, very hot. So when you look at, in the context of uh, the two games, everything was against us, the travel, the heat, the the, the whole lot. Um, And so you'd have to say that, you know, right here, right now, that's probably the greatest victory in the club's history. Um, And as such, then you'd have to say that this group go down as... As, a, as one of the greatest teams that we've had, all six wouldn't far behind, and there'll be teams. There'll be people. I'll tell you that there were teams in the '60s and '70s that were were phenomenal teams, but um, to go and do it on Australia, I think sets this group apart. Do
1: you think? Do you think now they'll finally get the credit? We've spoke about this quite a bit. That people don't want to give the credit to this group that they deserve. Now, in fairness, I spoke to other people and said, oh, people did the same with the 06 group. They wanted to say that Paul Scullthorpe wasn't that good and da, 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 da. It's only the same now. But now, you know, people talk about this group and they talk about Paul Scullthorpe as a, you know, an immortal of the game. Do you think now people will finally actually recognise how good this team is? Or do you think they will still talk them down wherever possible?
3: We can't control that. I don't think that. I think, um, there's a part of British culture never really likes the team at the top, not just British culture. Actually, I think Penrith are probably having an element of that in Australia. Um, that was one group of people that did want us to win it. Near enough every supporter of every team, other than Penrith, wanted us to beat them. Um, and I think that it's it's sad, but it's it's a way of the world. People don't like um, the team that's at the top. Um, so. You just have to live with that. We can't change people's opinion. I think something that this group does really well is it controls what it can control and all they can do now is set about trying to win it for a fifth time, try and get to Wembley for a Challenge Cup final um, and keep doing what they're doing. And and you're right, they'll probably only get the true recognition when they all finish and retire. Um, But for now, it's about continuing this journey and seeing if we can push some more homegrown players into the group and, uh, and see what it holds over the next, you know. Next few years.
1: I'm yeah, gonna ask you about that. Like if if this team's story was a film, the culmination would be lifting the world club challenge. You know, that's the that's the fairy tale ending, the happy ending, the end. Sport doesn't work like that. You you go again, you play a game this weekend, you've got another title to try and defend. So what is next for St Helens now? How do you go to the next step? Or the next level, having won four on the bounds, a Challenge Cup, League Leaders, the World Club Challenge. What, what can possibly be next for this club and for this team?
3: More importantly, I've sort of not listened to the last two minutes of what you said, and I'm just thinking who would play me in this movie. And I'm, I'm thinking George Clooney.
1: <laughs> he's playing you,
3: George, George Clooney, Clooney. I think, yeah, very similar, both dashing and good looking, silver, uncanny, uncanny. Silver, yeah, yeah, uncanny. it's got uncanny. that. Um, and the rest of it I didn't listen to. But look, the group's driven by success and it'll want more success. It won't rest like any good sporting group, whether that be the Bulls and Michael Jordan, whether that be, you know, I'm sure Pep at Man City never ever sets off not wanting to be the Premier League champions. So, look, that'll that that that'll be the mark of this group and whether they can now go on and create even more history will be something that really um, I think would interest them. Well, I know it does. I know it interests Paul Wellens as a new coach. He wants success. Um, but you know yourself in rugby league, we're going to need some luck along the way. and You need luck with injuries, you need luck with the draw, whether that be the Challenge Cup. Um, but I it does not worry me one bit that this group will not be motivated to go on and do the things that you just spoke about, whether that's challenging for the Super League, league leaders or uh, getting back to Wembley. And know this group will throw everything they've got at trying to achieve all those things.
1: Just uh, just as we wrap up, you, you mentioned that you've no idea why people would want to live in that climate. Now, your players have been out there. They've experienced that lifestyle. Uh, they've caught the eye if the Aussie reports are to be uh, taken seriously. Um, inevitably, you would think there will now be interest in some of your players from the NRL. Are you, A, aware of that? B, how challenging will it be to keep them, or is it easier than some may think? Because in fairness, over the years, you've done pretty well at keeping at retaining players. Like there's been, you know, like Luke Thompson went, but not most of those key assets that you've wanted to keep have stayed and committed to new deals and and everything like that. So how are you envisaging a problem there, or or do you think it's
2: manageable?
3: Oh, look, it, it, we will endeavour to manage the playing roster as well as we've done in previous years. Um, a lot of that comes down to kids like Johnny Lomax would definitely have had the chance to go overseas. James Roby would have had the chance. We know he did. Um, and that's about us creating an environment where they want to stay here. We need to give them a reason why they need to stay here and be successful. Our group makes sacrifices every year that they all could earn more money somewhere else. Um, but they all choose to stay to be part of someone successful. And I can't speak on behalf of any player because I don't know whether... Some might like the heat, some might want to challenge themselves. Luke Thompson did, James Graham did. Others will want to stay with mum, dad, sisters, brothers, aunties, uncles, and they'll have a reason why they want to stay. So, All we can do is try and plan the roster as well as we have over the last period and tie up the young players and and try and do deals with players to keep them happy at the club. Um, And if we get in three, four years' time, somebody is out of contract or two years' time and they want to challenge themselves in that environment or they want a change of environment... Then we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. But um, nothing really changes because the fact that Jack Wellsby or Lewis Dodd or James Robey or um, um, Johnny Lomax went and played well in Australia, they were all known to Australian clubs anyway. So there's nothing's changed. Nothing's new. Um, it's not like it was the first ever game and they've, you know, James Roby's first ever game and he's knocked out of the park. James Roby's been playing for 20 years. If they wanted James Robbie or if James Roby wanted to go there, that you know, that's been going on for twenty years. So we yeah. just deal what we can deal with, and we control what we can control. Um, but you know, other than that, and uh, you just let the press do what they do. I'm speculating, yeah. um, but that's all it that is—speculation.
1: I oh, was looking as well, and in fairness, like a lot of the blokes that I mentioned, like Welbeck only signed a new deal last year until twenty twenty-five. You've got do on at least another. T- it's not. It's not like these guys are off contract now and free to speak to clubs. You've already. You've, and I suppose this is the art of the salary cap that you, you seem to have mastered so well. You've been quite proactive in those retentions, like a lot of the blocks that have been mentioned. Yeah, they're yours aren't they? The contractor. Yeah.
3: You're not, look, not like it, it.
1: About it right here, right now for next year is what I'm trying to get. At.
3: No, we're comfortable with where we are. um You've still got to value the players, and you've still, you know, there'll always be talks going on with all of our group around the salary cap and what opportunities arise. Um, But again, we can only control what we can control, and we think we've done a pretty good job keeping this squad together uh, over the last sort of four or five years. And our intention will be to try and keep this squad together and develop more. You know, I think this year we've only brought in T. Ritson from Barrett. Who, who was outstanding in the short space of time he got at St George, and we're all looking forward to tea. Um, But it's about producing those homegrown players, and the next one coming off, and the next one becoming the next James Roby or Johnny Lomax, or whoever that might be. And um, that's—I I said to somebody yesterday—we don't just have a good academy; we have a world-class academy, you know. And I'm not sure there's many sporting organisations that are able to, and I'm talking in the world that are able to. Con- continually produce and develop players like ours does and not just develop players develop world class players that are at the top of their game and um, we we're very fortunate to have a, a great group who work in that um, sphere and we are blessed to have some amazing volunteers that put in hours and hours and hours um and and are rewarded with kit and tickets etc but they're not doing it for monetary value they're doing it to keep this club at the top of the tree and to Help young players in our town and wider afield um, the chance to be the next James Roby and Johnny Loman.
1: Yeah, that was one thing I would just just to wrap up on this. I think this is an important point. We talk about salary cap management and everything like that. How essential to your salary cap model is your academy? Oh, what what it does?
3: You don't have it. We we don't have what we've got without what Derek Trainer and. Neil Kilshaw and all the other guys that work in that um, environment provide us. And they continually provide us players that excel when they're young, which age your salary cap and you reward them as they go through. But it's far easier when you're producing your own than trying to go and buy from the NRL or to you know, um, get somebody out of another club that's performing in Super League. That, that's that's more difficult than people um, see. It makes me laugh when... You know, somebody's playing well and and you get bombarded with text messages. We should sign such and such, but he's killing it. It's not that easy, you know. And so if you can produce your own, well, you're in more control. And what do we all want in life? We all want to be, you know, the greatest control we can have over each situation makes life a little bit easier. And that group of men and and, um, that group of people that work in our academy structure um, are a massive part of the success that we have. Um, on nights like Saturday in, in Penrith, a huge, huge part of it. You know, a number of them kids weren't playing at Penrith for the first time. Um, Johnny Lomax, Tommy Makinson, uh, let's think mark Percival, Wellesby, Dodd, Wingfield, Lees, and Knowles. They've all played at Penrith Stadium before and all beat Penrith Panthers before. So it's nothing new. It's it's the product that, 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 that those guys work so hard to deliver that allows us to have that success.
1: Tremendous win for St. Helens and congratulations to the Super League champions and the World Club champions for everyone at House of League. There was, of course, a lot more rugby league that went on last week. Super League returned and it's fair to say there are a fair few talking points that came out of that. To discuss all of that with me is a man you will all know too well, a bit of a Super League legend, played many, many games in the competition and uh, had plenty of success too. It is none other than Paul Cook. Cookie, great to have you on, mate.
2: How are you? I'm very well, Matt. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to be on.
1: Let's start on Thursday because I think for me, this was uh, a game that I, I, I'm i still struggling to process really and and more from a Leeds perspective. Warrington got the win. Uh, we're very good. I just, ev- everything that I kind of expected from Leeds sort of, came true there in that they weren't great in pre-season but you can't read a lot into that but then it was kind of the same again
2: um well you get what you can't do Matt is flick a switch as a player and as a group of players you can't just flick a switch and when they played OKR in the last friendly game um two weeks before they played Warrington I was in a similar boat from the week before where they lost heavily at Featherstone and nilled and I felt that whoever would win that game between Hulk and Leeds would take a real lot of confidence into round one. And and if if a team like Hulk would have been pumped by Leeds that day, I wouldn't have expected them to beat Wigan. But Leeds was poor at Hulk And then in 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 all honesty, Matt, there was even worse at, at Warrington. Um you just you just can't turn up and, and rock up and win games. It's as simple as that. No.
1: The the thing that's getting me with Leeds cookie is the the defensive structure. So they're defending two man, are they? So the, the majority of Super League, just a bit of, for people who don't know the, the terminology, it's, it's pretty simple. Leeds are defending with two men in tech, tackles normally. Where pretty much every other club in Super League will go three man. Yeah, but it it doesn't work for them, in my opinion. They 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 give up they give up so many yards just. When teams are just direct at them, and yeah. I, I don't, I you've played in different defensive systems, but I just watch it and I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand what the. Well,
2: what the they, they, get, is they, certain, they certainly got rolled down the field far too easily on Thursday night against Warrington. Um, mm. There's a, there's an element of that, map where the attack's really good. You know, there's a little bit of late foot where You know, Paul Vaughn particularly was very good. You know, Mick was good for Warrington. Um, mm. there's, there's, there's an element of the, the find a weaker shoulder or the find a shoulder or the skip to an outside shoulder. And then they find that the next man who gets in is the outside man and there's no work from the inside. So that third man's got no chance of getting in. So um, there's an element of it where it's smart attack as well as um, defensively leads. But ultimately, Matt, there's some of them, some of the tries that Leeds conceded on Thursday night Darrell Clark skips out dummy half and beats a player one on one five meters from the try line, and it was Rhys Martin. It was a very good defender usually, but he beat him one on one and and that cost him six points. Josh Drinkwater dances in front of the post and fends off uh, Gannon, and then they find the pass and somebody else gets out of a tackle on Blake Austin and throw the ball over the top and and then there's a try in the corner for the So it's, it's sometimes it's not about how much they're being rolled as well. It's about they've just been got to be a little bit more desperate to make them tackles and the thing with Leeds is Rowan Smith's got runs on the board in terms of the group of players he's got and the time he's got at Leeds because when he came in last year there was closer to relegation candidates than there was going to a super league grand final so it, he certainly must be hoping that they that Leeds get better and and get better quickly but certainly at the straps when it, when the when the business end of the season really comes
1: just on that, I mean, you mentioned the goal line defense. i Martin smart and won't want to watch that again. And there were there were a few of them where there were there were play. One would push, others would stick. They they weren't in sync at all in the goal line defense. So in fairness to Leeds, at the end of last year when they went on that run, their goal line defense
2: was phenomenal. Um, and and but, that's what I that's what I suspect is hoping will will get better. There's also an element of. You know, Ben Curry goes clean through and Aidan Caesar makes a misread for the first try for, for Matt Dufty. And um you've got you've got a, a different centre wing partnership out there with Fussy Tour and Hanley. And um, you know, there's there's players that are playing way out of position as well. So th- there's a little bit of, of square pegs round holes at the minute with with Leeds with regards to selection and and players that are available for, for Roland Smith. So there is an element of you can understand it. For Warrington on the flip side of that. Warrington needed a result like that because yeah. they, they, they've... And Daryl Powell w- was certainly under pressure last year. I mean, I, there's lots of times where I've been to Warrington and the players have been booed off the field. You know, we can remember a couple of players. I think it was Curry and Cooper. and had a set two with one of the fans after yeah. the game last year. So, ultimately, they needed a positive result and got one. And it was a convincing positive result. There's only... the there's the only thing about Warrington is they they're the lucky ones to get Leeds in round one because there's probably ten other teams that would have guaranteed to beat them this weekend. The other ten teams would have beaten Leeds the way that Leeds played. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Just, just on Warrington and 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 Daryl, there's no getting away from it, is there? Like he he didn't only need a win; he needed a good performance because there are a lot of sceptical Warrington fans at the minute who aren't sure that the club have made the right call sticking with him, you know, after last year, and it was a disaster. There's no no getting away from that. He not only needed a win, but he needed that sort of performance just to put, whether it be fans at ease that they have made the right call or just to prove that actually he can have a Warrington
2: team that plays rugby like that. Well, that that's absolutely true with Daryl. Yeah. Um... The, the difficulty with Daryl going in last year in year one was he had 14 players off contracts at the end of last year. So there was going to be a broom swept through the joint eventually. Um, he's, all, he's also had some you know, personal battles with players where um, it's been very difficult for him to stamp his authority. And he's shown them the door. And it's a strong person who can stick by his methods and, and then an even stronger person to deal with some of the, the things he dealt with last year. Um, and then get rid of some of the players, which, with all due respect, was part of the furniture at the club. you know, Mike Cooper was part of the furniture. Toby King was another one. Um, so he certainly made some big calls on some big players. And he's also then gone out and brought in exactly what he felt he needed. Um, Paul Vaughan was by far the best player on the field. He was um, awesome. Wasn't he? Yeah, Do Harrison it. was good. Uh, Mickaulay was good. Duffy was good. Um, Ratsford were really, really confident in the centres. Um, you know, Ashton and field, Fieldless on the wings was great. Uh, Matauti did what he always does. The two halves looked better. I was going to you say, I thought Drinkwater drink really complimented George Williams. Williams. Yeah, Drinkwater will be great for, for George Williams because Drinkwater does the things that are really calm calming on the team. So, you know, how many times did Leeds have to bring it off their own line on, on Thursday night, particularly first half? Um. And then even into the second half, they just strangled the life out of Leeds. Leeds had no energy left. And it was a real quality performance from Warrington and one which they did need. No question about that. And the sceptics now will be starting to think, well, we can get on the back of this team here. We can get on the back of this team. And they've got a really big game coming up this weekend, obviously, against Huddersfield.
1: Yeah, I think that'll be a better gauge of of where they are. Because I want to take nothing away from Warrington. But I think Leeds made it easy for them. To be honest, you know, yeah, I think, as I think as that,
2: I said yeah, yeah, as I said, I think, I think man, the think thing that got me with,
1: I think the thing that impressed me with with Warrington was how they ended the sets, Cookie. To be honest, I thought, yeah, I thought the way that their execution at end of sets to either just suffocate the rhinos or, or yeah. to put points on the board was actually the most impressive thing, rather than the physical dominance. Because to be honest, I think Leeds almost gave that up, truthfully.
2: Wait, wait, wait. That's a real big element of the Warrington performance and it shouldn't be underestimated. The last tackle players and where they put leads to start their sets and then how they defended off the back of it is every bit of a rugby league team that you want to be supporting. Um, really calm and measured finishes to sets. Sometimes they even ran the ball and just left it where it was. Other times they just put a little kick up into the air and then tackled the the leads player on catch. It was just a real quality performance.
1: Moving on to Friday, Lee Salford. Uh, Salford got the win, 20 points to 10. Um, again, a, an interesting game in different ways. Everything that Warrington and Lee's was, Salford and Lee was quite the opposite, I felt. Um, let's start on Lee, because I suppose they, they are the, the talking point, really, even though they didn't get the win. What what did you make of that Lee
2: performance? Well, it's a performance that will give them a chance in games. And they had a chance to win it in in that game, Matt. Um, they're, a different, they're a different team to what we've seen Lee as in the past. Um, I thought they, they played tough, they played strong. And they could well have won the game, even though they didn't win the game. They had their opportunities to win the game. Um, Salford just a bit too good. And it was a game of rugby league that you like to watch as a, as a purist. You, you want to watch games like that. I preferred that game to the Thursday night game, Warrington Leeds. That is for sure. Um, you know there was much more steel and and grit and determination and character from both teams. Um, Salford just a bit too wily. You know you've got Croft and Snead, and and I just thought there was just the just probably did shade it. But it was a great game of rugby and a spectacle that that we put on the the, the TV from the owner in Derek Beaumont, and you know, the things that they're doing off the field. They're a real asset to, to the league if if they continue in that vein, both entertainment-wise, pre-game for the supporters, but then the entertainment that they provide on the field too.
1: Yeah. Did, did this show enough for you to suggest that they'll be
2: all right? Yeah, they, they, I, I think they will be all right. Um But, listen, it, it's, easy, it's easy for me to say this because I was in and around the club at the time when they was relegated and... Um, you know the last time, not the last time, but the time before in Super League, and they wouldn't have gone down under this format Matt, that we've got now. No. So they did, they, you know, witness finish bottom of the table. They went down through the middle eight system, and you, you expect that that team now is is more more rounded and polished than the team that they had back then. So I think they have a real chance to stay up. Listen, they're not they're not going to win many games, if you like. They're not, you know, you're not going to see them pushed for a top six place, but. They can steadily build, and I, I do genuinely believe that they'll stay in the in the Super League this year.
1: Just on on their performance, and uh, it's just an observation of
2: of mine, really. I didn't think they chanced their arm enough. I... Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe that's maybe that's opening night opening night nerves. Not wanting uh, uh, the negative of of that is they're not trying to win. They're not trying to win the game. They're trying not to lose. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've you, got to be a bit braver, haven't they? So, and that's that's the education that the, the coaching staff will bring with video review. Is you know we could have played here, we could have done this here. What about this next time? You know, what option? You know, and have a discussion with the players on. Are we being too, you know, we've been too cautious.
1: Yeah, it I just watched them and, and felt it was a team that's. It looked like a team that's just physically obliterated everyone for the last year, and at times they almost tried to do the same again. Just, just be, just bully them down the middle. And I don't think Salford ever really gave them any evidence to suggest that that way would work. But it felt, you know, it, it just felt like they persisted with that. I, how, how many times have we seen Ricky Latelli on the ball? It was one of the best striped players in the league. It,
2: yeah,
1: it just never quite felt like they, as you said. When the opportunity was there to play, it felt like they would go through the middle again um, yeah. and, and stick with a process. And I don't, and in fairness to Salford, I, I thought they matched them at that, and they probably and Salford for me won the game because they did just throw a little bit more at them. Like, you look yeah. at that Ryan Briley. Try, Briley was unbelievable, by the way, on Friday night. Yeah, yeah, um, I,
2: I, I agree. I agree completely with everything you've said there, Matt. Um, you you can't you cannot go into any Super League game, particularly Lee, who've had it easy in the last 12 months, as you've said, and obliterated everybody. The teams in the Super League are just too good. You know, they don't wave the white flag, they don't throw the towel in, they stick at it and stick at it and stick at it and slow your up down. And you've got to come up with something more. But you're right, Salford were, you know, they had their own problems as well with injuries and, and players not available, but they, they went there and did a real professional and, and solid job for me um, and that tells you everything about Paul Rowley and his Salford team um, who, who had a wonderful season last season and they're still riding off the back of that and they've started well and, and they've got a really tough game against Hockey Thursday this week coming so it's going to be um, an interesting season for Salford but I certainly think the more the than had enough to, to beat Lee
1: Is squad depth the only thing that's holding Salford back potentially this year?
2: Yeah, of course. But and and last year I, I don't think there'd have been many games, Matt, where you'd have not seen Brylitt fall back with Croft and Sneed in the halves and Akers at Hooker. Um so if they get any injuries to them key players, then it's going to be difficult for them to replace. Um so so that can hurt them. And they had a really good run last year with regards injuries. Um yes. you know, they didn't they didn't have a, a catalogue of injuries into in key positions at any time of the season, which certainly helped them with the, the, how Good they were and how cohesive they were, and, and how they executed their games last year.
1: Moving on to the, the other Friday game, uh Wakefield Catalan. Uh Catalan's got the win. I thought before before the, the game started, and I wasn't there, but I looked at the team sheets. No tomkins no Pierce, no Takiaho, no Meakin. Wakey at home, first game of the season. I thought that was a real opportunity for them to get a good start to the season that they didn't end up taking. Uh, it, could that, round one, you know, but could that be costly to Wakefield, not not getting points there?
2: I, I, I don't think you can allow a team to score over 30 points away from home against you and win the game. Um, they started really poorly in terms of conceding numbers, a number of points um, and by the time they started playing, it's too late. Um, uh, and you just, can't, you just can't, like we said about the, the flicking of a switch with Leeds, you can't just flick a switch and start playing and then all of a sudden come over the top of a team. Um, Catalan, too good. Um, even with the players missing for, for Catalan, I expected them still to win. Um, I, I thought Wiky would be better and it would be closer for longer. Um but, but they just let them get off to too good a start. And once you let a team get off to too good a start, they just ride it all the way home, don't they? And yes. um, Wakefield suffered with that. I feel that like Wakefield will suffer most of the year because of their squad depth. And um, you you, you can't c- continually spend the one point one two three million, one point one one point two one point three, million, 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, and continue to, to avoid the dreaded trapdoor, if you like. Eventually, it's going to catch you. Yeah.
1: It was ironic as well that Tom Johnson, you know, struggled so much with injuries, fit for round one, scores a hat trick. But I've got to say, like, just I wasn't out of the game, I've only seen the highlights. He looked sharp,
2: yeah, he he did certainly. Um, and the tries he scored are typical Tom Johnson tries, wasn't they? You know, into the corner, if he needed to to swan dive over the top of the corner flag, he would have done. yeah, and, and it's just like, you know, I always said this as a coach, Matt, if I had two players that I was umming and ahhing over which one to play, if one of them was going back to his old club or playing against his old club, I'd pick him. I'd mm. pick that player. Because they're, they're liable to go out and do something like Tom did on Friday and, and really stick it to the, the the team that he used to play for. Catalan, what,
1: what do you make of the... Prospects well, for the year. I'm a bit. I'm a bit undecided on them
2: at the minute. Well, you've just you've just named four or five players that there was missing, and they have still got a result away from home, round one. When the euphoria of round one comes to uh, any team, and when you're at home in round one, you expect to get off to a good start, and they've gone there and done a real good job. Um, yeah. Listen, the, the the goal for them and, and the challenge for them is to get back to where they got to and get back to grand finals and get back into the top two, three teams in the country and give themselves a real chance in the cup competition as well so um, yeah they, they, undecided, yeah I agree i probably say you're sceptical about them because they, they didn't hit the dizzy heights of the, the previous season last year didn't they? they didn't hit the grand final like they did the year before and um, once you do make that grand final even if you do lose in it, you, your expectant level goes up and you want to get back there as quickly as possible and Catalan didn't do that last year but they're certainly still a capable team.
1: On, on another note, just before we move on, did you see some of the war wounds from yeah. that pitch that they've got? They, yeah. they look nasty.
2: Yeah. L- listen, I'll tell you a funny story. When I was playing, I never ever took too many painkillers after games and stuff. And I got a burn on my knee from a grass pitch like that. And it was the most painful injury I'd had for about three months. It, it was horrendous. You know, every time you then practice again, that you you scrape the scab off it and it becomes a fresh burn and you can see underneath it all the skin that's burnt away and they're an awful injury, an awful, awful injury. And if that's the case, Wakefield are on that every fortnight. It doesn't help with your practice in between that because ultimately players can't go down on the knees in practice. So you, you struggle with any contact and wrestle and it's it's got to be addressed because... Um, and I'm sure it will get better. It usually is at the beginning of the season when this happens. And sometimes you, you don't get as many burns towards the end of the season. But they're not a good injury for any player to have.
1: And they were massive, weren't they? Like yeah. John's, the he yeah. posts on Instagram, exactly they weren't right. like little yeah. ones. It was a massive, yeah. it was quite graphic, actually.
2: Yeah, as I say, listen, that was the most painful injury I had. I broke my kneecap, I broke my wrist, I snapped ligaments in my knees. And that was by far and away the most painful injury I've had.
1: <laughs> was that a witness? then, I'm assuming?
2: No, no, it, it was it was when I was playing in in the lower leagues at Doncaster. I got it towards the end of my career. We played at oh, home dear. at Doncaster, and it's the same hybrid pitch, um, right. and it bent me, and it got me, it got me just right on the kneecap. So you struggle to you struggle to bend your knee without it all cracking and, and coming away. It's they're an awful awful injury. Bends. Moving to East Hull. Look, we
1: me and you have spoken quite a lot about Hull KR in, in the last in the last couple of months, and what they may do, what they could do. Well, they have been talked up. There's no getting away from that. But they delivered on Saturday, win over Wigan, and, and they were impressive in doing so, Cookie.
2: Yeah, well, as I say, being in Hull and, and playing for both of them clubs, I'm really interested to see what changes have been made and how, how the, the, the coach has gone about fixing up their, their respective teams. Um, I thought their their win was really impressive. Um, it wasn't without adversity in terms of losing a winger, which you never want to do. Um, and then moving your wing to a centre to the wing and then your back row on one side to the left centre and then putting Hadley on and losing then Reese Kennedy in the game. Um, they, they 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 were impressive and they were strong. They the conceded four tries and that sounds like a lot in the game of the league and it is. Three of them from kicks, only one from open play. Uh, the right edge looked a bit more solid, apart from the Ethan Ryan brain explosion when he fires out of the line when there's no need to and Marshall goes down the outside, back inside, so Wardle scores. Barring that, I thought the angle Wigan comfortably. And
1: just individually, I thought James Batchelor was awesome.
2: Yeah, Batchelor was great. Uh, you know, a massive play to steal the ball, wasn't it, from Jai Fielder towards the end of the game. The, you know, really big moments that Hulkingston Rovers won. I thought Batchelor was outstanding. Kenny Dowell obviously takes the plaudits with his hat trick, but Ryan Hall scores as well on that left edge. Abdul's kicking game calmness was great. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not too many negatives to come out of of Hulkingston Rovers' performance and result against Wigan, and, and many probably expected Wigan to win. Um, but the euphoria again around the pre-match, the you know the the rides in the car park for kids, then the 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 band playing pre-game, the Craven Street open. It was just a. I actually backed all KR, so I'm I'm giving myself a pat on the back with it. But um, I thought it was outstanding.
1: Well, funnily enough, I didn't back all KR, but I I have tipped him to finish fifth, and I've been hammered for that prediction throughout the off season. So I, I also felt slightly vindicated after. Uh,
2: well, li- listen, if they finish fifth, then you're even more vindicated and, and that'll be a great, great improvement for the club having finished eighth last year or, or wherever they fin- I think it was eighth and LFC was ninth. So um listen, it's, it shouldn't be about um OKR okay, finishing above LFC, which is often what we get in this city. Uh, it should be about playing in the bigger games and playing in playoffs and and getting themselves into them, them playoff places,
1: yeah. And, and as for Wigan, uh, very uncharacteristic performance. I, I thought they were, uh, dare I say it, a little bit soft through the middle on Saturday, yeah. But
2: there's a real, there's a real Wigan have set a standard, haven't they? And they set a standard last year with regards to their performances and and how tough they are to be. Um, I, I thought they would have been better and Hulkiar would have had to play even better to beat them. Um, they didn't, they did everything that we can normally do. They just didn't do it as, as refined and polished as I've seen them do it before. And that includes, like you say, the middle defense and, and being rolled back a little bit. Um, but even some of the players, when there was attacking, and Rovers line to, to come up with three tries first half all from kicks. is great for your kickers and great for your chase, but they didn't particularly open Hulkiar up and, um, you know, Maybe maybe they've got to go back to the drawing board and really work on some skill element because they, they didn't really trouble Kingston Rovers a great deal, in my opinion.
1: No, no, I agree. I agree, but I don't think anyone's going to write off
2: Wigan just yet, are they? Well, I, I still believe they'll finish in the top two, Matt. I still believe they'll get better. Um, and, and, and one player that you, you don't realise probably that they'll, they'll miss so much is, is John Bateman because he brings a toughness to the team. It brings a ruggedness and, a, and a, a desire and a fight to the team. And somebody's got to pick up that mantle, haven't they? And somebody's got to take that by the trough of its neck and, and be that, that player who, who gives everybody else a lift around them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, and, the, and the final game of the round was definitely the barmiest. Um, All FC beating Castleford, but by nowhere near as many points it looked like they would do it after an hour, uh, one by two in the end. What, what was your take on all of that? Obviously, you saw it.
2: Well, it, it, there's a couple of things and I went to the game with some pals of mine who are ardent black and white. First and foremost, I left the ground at full time and I bumped into people. I couldn't get through and I couldn't get over the bridge to go and have a beer with my pals down the, the Prince Avenue because everybody else was coming out at the same time and in seasons gone past, they've all left with 20 minutes to go. So bums on seats and edge of seats and staying while the end, yes, the entertainment was there. I'm pretty sure they'll be doing a lot of work defensively this week before the play, before the play on Friday. Because with all due respect, at 32-6, they should kick on and win by more. Even if Castleford gets to 20, they still should get themselves to 40. Um, and the alarming thing was there's a couple of big plays in there that they that, that didn't execute. Cam Scott was one where he kicks the ball dead, seven tackle restart. Ben McNamara, I think, they did a, a, the same one. Um, and the results-based, Cam Scott's is on play three, so the education for them in video is then, you know, what can you do better? Ultimately, if you keep it in the end goal and get a goal-line dropout, it's not a bad play. As soon as it goes dead, the result is poor because it's seven tackles and Cass go down the other end and score. The same with McNamara. If it's a metre before, the corner flag and doesn't go out touch and go, it's not a seven tackle restart and they're big moments in games that they've got to get right and defensively there the was a little bit soft and there was some some areas in the first half where Cass made clean breaks that they've got to be better in and in the end it caught them because Cass had a, a weight of possession in the second half where the, the, the turned it into points and that's a real concern moving forward this week where they've got to fix it up. I've got one and and this is a criticism of both teams. Some of the defense was dismal yeah. in that game. Well, soft, soft, wasn't it? You know, if you if you're going to use a word, that's soft. It's a soft option. Uh, some of the penalties as well, not getting back on side, just lazy, soft. You know, one more meter. You know, don't cheat. You know, don't cheat your way through a game. Um, you know, and you get pinged for, for penalties, and and it's just a little bit soft. Both teams will go away from that. The only positive for Hull FC going away from it is. I suppose last year or in previous years they lose the game map. Yeah. You know, once it spirals out of control, it goes way out of control and get over the top of them in the end. So the positive is that if they go to Leeds this weekend and and win by 50 points, they still only get two competition points on the ladder, the same number as winning 32-30 the weekend before.
1: Yeah. And and surely, surely they must have played pretty well for that first hour to establish that sort of lead and obviously entertained a very good, a very healthy crowd 15,300 there, which was fantastic to see.
2: Yeah. Listen, if you leave Radford, you're going away from them sick as a parrot because he's taken his team 50, 55 minutes before they start playing. So he's got a, a massive percentage of the game he's got to fix up his team on. Tony Smith, on the on the other hand, has got 20, 20 25 minutes to fix up. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's only a 20, 25 minute period where he's going to look at it and say these are what we've really got to fix up, but it can also go back to some of the stuff they did first half, which didn't cost them, but it did in the second half. Um, mm. But Lee Radford will go away sick. Well, How did Clifford and Hoy get on? Clifford was really good, um, really controlled the game. <clears throat> Excuse me, Matt. Um, yeah, Tex Hoy's pass for the first try was, was superb to, to Daniel Mackintosh. He ran for plenty of metres too. It was his best game. I know he's only played three, but it was his best game. Um, yeah, the, the the team in the first 30 minutes looked really healthy. You know, Brad Dwyer was zipping around and, you know, the try he, he creates for Sutcliffe uh, where he just goes through the middle of the ruck. It's a poor one from Castleford's point of view. You can't have them players running through the middle of the ruck. Um, but, yeah, the, the 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 players that the club's recruited in Hull FC certainly stood up and that's that's all you can ask.
1: Brilliant. Well, an interesting second round coming up. We'll uh, we'll hear more from Cookie throughout the year on House of Leeds. Thank you very much for joining us, my friend. It's great to hear from you. Are you where are okay. you at this week?
2: This week, I'm not anywhere, I don't think. So I may well try and get over to, to Salford Hockey. I may try and get over to Leeds, but it's my family weekend as well. So I've got to be really careful there, Matt.
1: No, you've got to mix the uh, the family with the rugby yeah. league. Well, Cookie, thank you very much for coming on, mate. Much appreciated. Pleasure, Matt that's all for this week big thank you to everyone who's tuned in a big thank you to everyone who's been on the show particularly Mike Rush after his trip around the world this has been House of League, I've been Matt Shaw and whatever you do, make sure you enjoy your rugby league, take care